0: This is a crow's nest podcast. Ahoy, and welcome back to Titanic Talkline. I am Alexia, and I have my damsel galley back again hello hello i i feel damsily today me too um and i feel slightly in distress because we're we're getting back into i just inhaled a dust particle (laughs) excellent uh there's not a lot of dust in the thing we're about to discuss uh it's a very very watery show we are getting into episode two of the titanic miniseries hooray yeah
1: well, specifically the
0: 2012. <laughs> oh yeah, that's Titanic right. I have miniseries. to specify.
1: Yeah. Yes, the
0: 2012 one, uh just quick recap for people who maybe who haven't seen it. This is directed by Julian Fellows. This is not the Catherine Zeta-Jones um Delio. This is a four-parter <laughs> and we talked about episode 1 and I was supposed to do a summary for episode 2, but two things about that. So much of what happened in episode 2 is a recap of what happened in episode one. So it's sort of like, yes. I don't need an, a, a, re, a thing. And also some of it is not abundantly apparent without the like wiki provided plot summary. So I'm actually just going to read the plot summary from uh, the wiki. And this is for episode two, which is called second and third class it. And it just, for, here we go. it's going, going back to before the ship's ill-fated voyage the designers of the ship are in conflict over how many lifeboats should be on the boat one of them hires irishman jim maloney to get more no to get a more competent team to finish the behind schedule electrical wiring in exchange for transporting his family to america for a new life i didn't read that right i don't Side note to everyone, this is white on like navy blue text. I am not a fan of dark mode. I'm one of those people that like I find it harder to read. So I'm having a much harder time reading this because I'm like it's like white on very dark blue. Um oh, I'm so surprised. I'm looking at the wiki and it's <laughs> it's not in dark mode for me. I know, but I'm I'm on um the Titanic fandom wiki. Ah Actually,
1: I want to keep hearing your writing of your your reading of this because I thought you were on the official Wikipedia, which has a summary that is either going to be identical
0: or very similar to yours. (laughs) I've just clicked over to the to the one you're talking about. Okay, but I'm gonna finish the one I started and then I'm gonna speed read the other one. Just for I'm gonna speed read them both. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> uh, da, 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 da. Although his wife Mary isn't sure of the move, they go anyway, and Jim manages to secure the family a room in third class. However, a stranger and fellow passenger, Peter, makes Mary wary by constantly appearing nearby and soon makes the acquaintance of Mary's husband. Meanwhile, Italian fireman Mario's brother, Paolo Sandorini, catches the eye of a beautiful stewardess, Annie Desmond. The couple from episode one, John and Muriel Batley, are shown having a turbulent time in their marriage. The ship hits the iceberg, and the Maloney family is trapped below decks. Peter steps out by attacking one of the stewards so Mary and her children can pass. However, both he and Jim are trapped below decks. Mary and her children manage to get on board a lifeboat, but the Batleys are not so lucky, and the cliffhanger shows them with second officer Lightoller, the Earl of Manton, and Harry Widener attempting to ride an overturned lifeboat as the water reaches the boat deck.
1: That is nearly word for word, the, like the official Wikipedia summary you know, of
0: that. I'm betting you that whoever it was copied and, like, tweaked it slightly i'm gonna read if i read other ones i'm just gonna read from the wiki because that was actually slightly painful for my eyeballs yeah
1: but, um, don't we, so, we yeah. already have to deal with really bad lighting in this series you don't <laughs> need to deal with it while reading the summaries
0: yeah uh speaking of lighting do you want to get right into it because the first scene is about like electrical lighting i think right like and wiring
1: <laughs> so so actually um from my notes the the very first scene was all of the old white men talking about how there's no
0: need to have extra lifeboats ah yes 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 it, the very obvious sort of uh i don't even know what to call this scene in like a in a in a soap opera or in a sitcom but you all know you, everyone knows this scene It's where, you know, the evil corporation is like, and they'll never discover our evil plan.
1: Yeah, it's basically where everyone sits around and goes. So we could either do something that's going to be safe and help, you know, thousands of people just in case, just in case an emergency goes wrong, or we could not because adding more lifeboats is going to make the boat look fat. And we don't really want that.
0: No, why would we do that? We're we're a good company. We hire Catholics. Oh my God, that too. This I forgot that this episode has my favorite line in it, and it has to. This this episode is the religion episode where it's all. This episode was so focused on the conflict. Now I will excuse me say that I'm sorry, everyone. I've mentioned this on the show before. Like I don't drink a lot of soda, so when I do, it's kind of like wow. And yeah, it's, stuff's happening. Um, I don't know very much about Irish history, uh, admittedly. I also don't know very much about politics in general, but I do know that in Ireland around this time, I don't know if it started quite in 1912 or maybe a little after, um, there was extremely tense sentiments between Protestants and Catholics. And I don't know why, I Don't nobody asked me that, but I do know that there was quite strong feelings in that way
1: yeah there was a lot of anti-catholic sentiment in ireland and i also am not not one for religious wars because to me as someone who is not christian it's all christianity to me um (laughs) but i i did write a quote uh that was no career for a catholic in belfast
0: yes that and that he says something similar to that again later. Um, this is the the electrician Jim Maloney. Mm-hmm. Uh, and okay, <sighs> I'm reading my notes here. Uh, I said there's a lot of emphasis on the rush and I, of the building of the ship and how everything's being rushed. Um, <clears throat> so, not true. Really, Titanic was actually built pretty well as far as ships go um there's a lot of inaccuracies in the show i've discussed a couple of them in the previous one specifically about like the officer's conduct which is bananas but another thing that they um i think this is this episode where they bring it up they're like first class is all full etc cetera, etc cetera. the titanic was not a sold out ship there was cabins in all classes available at the time so- of sailing
1: so that 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 has me asking a question because i thought it was very odd that the what appears to be the head electrician mm-hmm. uh jim maloney was told hey by the way congrats you get to ride the titanic too uh-huh. um but we're gonna have to put you in third class sorry that's the best we can do was that actually accurate do you know? I,
0: so i talked about this a while ago on the show i believe with stephen beale and while when we look at this now in the discrepancy We see haves and have nots, but he says, think of it less as that and more of haves and have a little lesses because traveling on Titanic was a luxury ship point blank period. You know, people could choose to take cheaper accommodations. There were other options for you. You didn't have to take Titanic if you wanted to, or um, any white star line ship and third class was for many people a revolutionary experience it was the first time many people had been served food dining out in restaurants were um extremely new experiences and for most people you would you know host grand dinner parties in your home people would serve you in other people's homes being able to go out was also a luxury experience you know you'd have to have a lot of money to go to a restaurant so here you were on this ship and other people were serving you these were people traveling across america who were maids and tradesmen this was probably the first time they'd ever had something like that and so when this guy is like oh you're putting us in third class blah blah blah," he's talking about it pretty grouchy but it would kind of be I guess it's not at all comparable, but comparable to if someone gave us, you and me, two complimentary tickets on a cruise ship, but they were an interior room. Like, yeah, the room's not great, but we're, yeah, we're still going on a cruise. We can figure it out. A little bit of it might suck. Like, yeah, the bedroom might be a little cramped. We might not love it, but.
1: Come on. Well, I think that's what's always kind of perplexed me about um, the Titanic media, I guess, that I've consumed. Uh, is they definitely make third class appear mm, like they make it appear as though you are sitting in the very back of the plane right next to the bathroom and the bathroom is constantly being used and it smells terrible and you're like kind of left to fend for yourself and there's a baby in front of you that is just incessantly trying to steal your food like it definitely appears a lot worse and rowdy than i think what you're describing it as which sounds like okay maybe third class is just more like a regular economy seat you don't get that much legroom you're not going to be behind the curtain in first class with all of those fancy hoity toity people but you're still flying to the same destination and you're still relatively in a you know comfortable position
0: Yeah, honestly, it's exactly that. Because also, this was 1912, you know, no cabins had air conditioning, for example, like, no cabins had, you know, total and complete sanitary style indoor plumbing, you know, there wasn't any sort of cabin that had what we would consider a modern accommodation. But all classes of cabin had, you know, this was A far cry from, you know, when people would actually call third class steerage class because you would have to sleep and deal and everything in a big communal hall. Like that's where Mm -hmm. it got its name. You'd have to bring your own bedding that was not provided. So you had to bring that for yourself and (laughs) you had to bring your own food. You would also not have access to refrigeration or anything. So that's where a lot of people would get food poisoning on voyages because, you know, you'd have to bring five to seven days or the food and no way of keeping it good. And if you're traveling with a bunch of people, you have to keep track of it all. So that's where comparable accommodations used to be. And then this was a step up again for people who could afford it. This was a step up where it's like, you have your own bed, maybe not your own room um, in third class, but you have your own bed at the very least. Mm
1: -hmm. You'll get
0: served three meals a day and then some sort of like coffee and tea and uh yeah each cabin or hallway has a a steward uh, an attendant or two so it's sort of like yeah is it not as you were saying a luxury experience no but it wasn't it wasn't as bad as maloney is going off about especially again considering that it's last minute and tickets to america for most people were life savings worthy life altering life-changing and the fact that this guy is like i'm giving you seven tickets for you yeah. and your family to start a new life in america you know this gift that most people would absolutely melt for this is yours please take it and he's just like well you didn't want to put us in first class it's sort of like <sighs> i get where you're yeah. from but i think again i think my comparison which is not really it because we don't travel the same way anymore but it's just like if someone offered us again interior rooms on a cruise it'd be like we can suck it up to sleep in them we can we can dorm style it for a few minutes to enjoy the other amenities that's that's kind of how i view it so yeah his attitude's a bit funny and then this whole thing where he steals a bigger room from three people a room meant for like eight people from three men who don't even know each other is bananas when again as i mentioned it wasn't totally sold out titanic had room this would not have been like a necessary weird conflict and honestly the first time it happened i missed that he was just taking somebody else's room and i thought this was some weird stowaway situation
1: yeah like it it kind of sounds like Kind of sounds like the reason that he was miserable on this trip, excluding the future uh, <laughs> that's about to happen, um, was more so because he was stuck in a tiny room with six other family members and his absolutely miserable wife, Mary.
0: Oh, my God. May- Can we talk about Mary for the rest of this episode? <laughs> Another miserable woman. I'm sorry. I came to the conclusion that Julian Fellow, whoever the script writer is, hates women. This man is a misogynist. Whoever wrote the script is a misogynist. Because there's not a single redeeming woman who isn't totally like... Georgiana is a bit of a Mary Sue. Yeah. <clears throat> and she's a- the only... Annie, Annie.
1: Annie Desmond, too.
0: Annie's also a bit of a Mary Sue. She's got quote-unquote a little agency, but mm-hmm. it's sort of that like implied agency. Also, why is her hair always covering her ears? That annoys the shit out of me. But Mary is... So a crux of this entire thing is her interaction with this other character named Peter. Yeah. And the first time we encounter her, she looks like she is so scared of him, she's going to pee her pants. I thought that terrified. I thought that
1: Peter had like So the way that she runs into him is the entire brood is going to to the titanic and uh-huh. for whatever reason as always happens in these stupid pieces of cinema right one kid just decides to run off without the saying last anything yeah anything like that so mary goes after her son and peter um is the one who's like hello i found your child here you go and for whatever reason her reaction to that made me think that was Peter a serial killer? Like, why was she reacting to him like, oh my god,
0: do not touch my child? Well, it turns out she maybe's not wrong. It never gets fully resolved, but I think we're supposed to have it implied that he is this like serial killer. Everyone yeah. says he is. So so before we get into again yeah, Mary sorry. being miserable,
1: Peter Lubov is this character, and apparently yes. he was based on Peter the painter. But yeah. Peter the Painter never went on the Titanic.
0: No. And that's, it's, mm, this goes back to the whole thing I was talking about where there was already a perfect setup for a fictional tie-in for this show. There was the Downton Abbey tie-in literally in Julian Fellows' yeah. hands. And he was like, whoops, I dropped it. And then yeah. starts bringing in these things which are which are very odd and speculative. It would be like being it would be like saying and then he ran into Jack the Ripper who was a stoker. Like you can't just throw in everything that was potentially relevant in Europe in that year into this mini series. It becomes too cluttered and everyone becomes shallow. Uh I
1: I'm really disappointed that we didn't get to see like Anastasia on the
0: boat or something like that. Oh, that's how she got away. That's how she avoided um (laughs) i i have a few more notes before we go back to those two um even though i brought up like 73 other things about (laughs) the officers Mm -hmm. they have that weird um discussion where they're basically like you're out um that's not how that happened they didn't just like say you you're out because you don't take orders it was a combination of things there was a coal strike at london at the time so a lot of voyages were being canceled, redirected, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of officers were then being shuffled around. And that's what ultimately led to that happening and Blair being dismissed as an officer from the lineup.
1: That's who Blair was. I actually completely yes. forgot um, about who Blair was, but did have a note that said Blair will look back on this and be so happy.
0: I know. He'll just be like, Honey! Uh, get in here Yeah, if there were a tv (laughs) yes exactly um so i that was my note on that and also they need to wear their hats officers were always wearing their hats just i brought this up last time put your hat put your hat on how rude of him to not not wear hats rude of them also one of my notes just says this lady is so irish
1: that's not the one okay i guess that this is a I don't remember who said this quote, but I wrote down a quote of half of them look suspiciously
0: like Catholics. That is my favorite line in the entire show. I heard it in the trailer. It is said by Lady Manton in the church where she leans into her husband and just mutters, half of them look suspiciously like Catholics. And it's truly my favorite line in this entire show.
1: I, I would love to just stand in a Boston square and just say that. (laughs)
0: half of them look suspiciously like catholics no contacts and just walk away yeah (laughs) um so yeah uh, we meet mary the lady that is so irish and my other note says she is horrified by this man so yeah this man the serial killer comes around the corner holding her son's hand two things about it number one how does she know and number two as we later find out sorry spoilers no spoilers she's supposed to be like so hot for this dude like that's supposed to be her reaction her reaction is supposed to be oh yeah but what i'm getting is oh no
1: i i i hate i kind of hate this trope in cinema where um when a woman is interested in someone she has a very stoic like far away glance at them like a very long stare a yes. long silent stare with very tight lips and you're supposedly supposed to read that as this woman is flooding her basement right now but it totally just comes off as i really wish this human being would get away from me as far as possible and that was just yeah. mary's expression the entire show
0: <laughs> right cuz tension is not a good thing when you're aroused that uh, in that capacity. I mean for some
1: people it. Might I mean be, in some but
0: ways but like it went it, when you I that's not near norm I don't feel like most people when they're smitten or instantly like into somebody I don't feel that most people's initial reaction is that level of tension because again whoever's directing this poor woman just had her come off completely absolutely fucking scared of this dude like from the onset so my whole thing was as soon as, you know, later on, we're confronted with the rumors about him. I was like, she knew. That's
1: and then later thought.
0: on. Right. And then later on, it's revealed that she did not know. She was just. You know, hot for rescuer. Super weird. But. Yeah, that all that leads into their encounter leads into the um, scene where I wrote, don't steal rooms. <laughs>
1: I That was such a
0: perplexing encounter for me. Like, completely
1: useless, as you were saying, because they could have found an empty room. Yes. Also, it wasn't really... um... This is one of my pet peeves, again, about cinema. The don't tell them any information trope. Why? Why did Jim not say a word to his supposedly wife that he is obsessed and in love with to tell her that, hey... I'm going to try to steal us a better room. So just play along. Yeah, play along. Yeah, he doesn't do any of that. It's just like, all right, kids, everyone come with me. Oh, don't worry about the fact that this door is locked and I'm going to jimmy it open. Oh, also, let's get inside and be very quiet. Like,
0: What's happening here?
1: Communicate with your partner just a little bit.
0: And again, like in this show, they keep saying about like how it's been, it's sold out, it's sold out, it's sold out. And how that one room that came available went to Georgiana. They're like, no, 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 there's a waiting list. It's like, no, historically incorrect. There were open, there was space. Like, this wouldn't have been a thing. But Don't Steal Rooms, I have Don't Steal Rooms written down twice here um, (laughs) in separate places. But in between them, I wrote down a quote from, I don't remember who it was, but it was talking about Paolo and Mario. And it said, Italians are an excitable breed and they're politically unstable. Which was some fantastic wordsmithing about just racisms.
1: There is so much racism against Italians.
0: Yeah, this is the anti-Catholic and anti-Italian episode. The whole show is very anti-Italian, but this one in particular is just like, whoa.
1: I mean, I really, I just feel like, I feel like we need to go a little bit further with our historical dramas and instead of picking apart all of the different types of white people that we can be anti against we should just be just total anti-white people like literally everybody on the titanic should have been very upset that there was any other human being on that titanic because they were surrounded by white people and they don't know their religion nor do they know like what part of europe they're from like just just be mad at everyone (laughs) just be mad yeah
0: i'm still mad at annie covering her ears with her hair you should be and maybe
1: that's really the thing that we should be um uh it's not really racist is it to be against people who cover their ears with their hair
0: no i think that's just practical (laughs) yeah i I don't
1: know i need to go talk to vincent van gogh and see what the uh what the prejudice is against
0: ears okay speaking of prejudice um there's a brief scene where we see paolo so mario the older brother is shown getting his younger brother uh well it's you know he's the stoker and he gets his younger brother the job as the dining steward (laughs) excuse me so he's serving dinner in first class and you know he's you know serving and georgiana smiles at him and he fucking winks at her what a moron I mean, here, you and I are obviously both not a big fan of class barriers, but we also both are fully ass-aware that if we lived in 1912, we'd have to follow some very different rules. And one of those rules would be, thou shalt not, as a steward, wink at a first-class lady. Yeah, but what in you did In plain view you... of everybody in the room, excuse me, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but in plain view of everyone in thine room, which um, is large. No,
1: please keep interrupting me as I try to see. <laughs> oh, no. um, but what you didn't see was the fine print to that rule, which was <laughs> unless she is Georgiana, who is definitely a Mary Sue main character here. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. Um...
1: <laughs> so it was also just another like strange thing to me that I felt was very um, modern. Like I felt like that was a very modern take for somebody to to just like, Wink flirtatiously. Super.
0: I thought yeah. that was very anachronistic in that way. I mean, again, I'm not saying that winking is a modern gesture. <clears throat> Excuse me, but in in that context, at that time, in that situation, in that location, it seems like the least appropriate thing. It yeah. would have been more appropriate if he'd outrightly smiled and nodded at her, like, yeah, my lady. Yeah, that would have given been... a bow. <laughs> Yeah, I think either of those gestures would have been, as as mocking as we're being, I think they would have been more appropriate because it would have been that, like, weird, uh, upper-class deference.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it might have been, like, now, now, a little overzealous, but it would have been, like, oh, ha, 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 look at him. He doesn't know, as opposed to, what the fuck are you doing?
1: Yeah, yeah, as opposed to, like, honestly, I felt like it kind of played into... Um that really annoying italian stereotype that, yeah. that everyone is so uh overt with their emotions in italy so That they flurry. just can't contain it yeah so flirty.
0: i don't wasn't wasn't kathleen manigan i don't remember i was listening to a comedian who was talking about like if you want to feel appreciated if you want to feel observed and loved go to italy yeah, And it's, again, that kind of jokey stereotype deal. But yeah, it plays into it. And I, it, I thought it was very tone deaf in an episode that was already quite basically literally hammering home the anti-Italian sentiment. It's sort of like, you're not giving, you're not making your argument for yourself. It's like you're making it harder.
1: It also didn't really have any purpose because it's not like like Paolo and Georgiana begin some type of like romantic relationship like literally nothing comes of this besides him getting in trouble.
0: Right, and that could have been totally avoided. There's
1: a lot of plot lines in here that I feel could have been to- totally avoided. Toit
0: toit d- Are we totally <laughs> enough for the toital club?
1: <laughs> I don't know, but are you ready for Sunday service with all of the
0: Netflix Wait, 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 wait! Did Sunday service come after that weird interaction? Yes, it did. It came after that weird interaction in the third class dining room, where Peter and Jim are talking. Yeah. And suddenly, they're friends. By the way, suddenly they're friends. Also, this is where last episode I was saying like that 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 some parts of this show have some bananas lines in them this episode must have been written by that person because this episode had some primo lines we've got lady manson's sick burn about catholics in five seconds but this episode has peter saying let the downtrodden cringe from the lash of their masters and i can just see somebody writing that down and being like oh that's good
1: that's how casual people talk
0: yeah that's how my 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 bro and i talk having a beer after dinner. What?
1: Was this also um because I'm I'm forgetting the third class uh scenes a little bit, but was this also the scene where Mary not so subtly like
0: drops something? Oh my god, that's like exactly that like I think almost after he says that line, she like she basically yeets a thing a thread. Like a thimble or something. Yeah, something. That, yeah. And it rolls over to them, and Peter picks it up and puts it back on the table for her. And instead of acting human, she acts like C three PO who's been powered down. Yeah, just kind of let me there. ignore this. Yeah, but also in the weirdly stiffest way possible, she's not even sitting normally. She's like rearranged herself purposely to be in an awkward position, like sit nor bothly. This is how humans sit and deprogram. Two, one. Mm. She
1: she kind of reminded me a little bit of a cat um, in this scene <laughs> because she she basically acknowledges the fact that her husband and Peter, her part-time lover, part-time serial killer, I guess.
0: Um, part-time night
1: terror. Part-time night terror are apparently having a conversation because they're the best of buds. Not that we ever knew that. Um, but she like, it, it kind of to? felt like she was staring at them. And then just knocked something off of the table to get them to go pick it up, and it was just kind of like a cat, just like, This is your problem now. And then when it's returned to them, again, like a cat, just be like, I don't know what that is. I don't want it
0: <laughs> Except she had her back to them. And again, had that same look of fucking terror the entire time he was nearby. And then This is weird flirting. <laughs> it is. We get the the next big scene is the church scene, but right before we get there, we get this tiny little cutaway to Bello, who has just finished winking at georgiana and annie on the first class promenade just just hanging together like normal um on the list of things that just wouldn't be allowed with a capital w b and a that's one of them
1: Uh, yeah i was there were a couple of moments where it seemed like um the the workers were just like no we have off time we'll chill and i'm like i don't don't think you guys had requisite breaks in this time period
0: no and if you did you weren't able to just like chill with the passengers i covered this a little bit in the first episode too where you know we were i was saying that um light toller is way too comfortable with the passengers Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're all a little bit kind of like that. Anytime anyone runs into any kind of office, they're just like, hey man, what's going on? Like you can't fraternize with the staff like that. That was just not white Starline Protocol. Yeah. Uh but yeah, there was a lot of flirting with protocol. There's a lot of flirting point blank period. And also by the time we get to this church scene and we see people like filing into the church, I'd forgotten about the Mandans. I was like, who are these people? <laughs> yeah I
1: was a little disappointed to well not disappointed to see them again. I think it was more of that oh right you you milk toast folks are here
0: oh yeah, you people, <laughs> yeah, you're here to just make your your uh your crazy observation about half of them looking suspiciously like Catholics,
1: yeah, you're offended to constantly or uh, sorry, wow uh yeah, you're showing up to just be offended and clutch your pearls like that was all Lady Manton did. <laughs>
0: yeah very much so the entire church service was weird because again on the real ship you didn't um there wasn't an all-class service
1: i thought that that was strange like it seemed like they would have a service for each class because i would also imagine that a fair amount if not the entire ship would want to go to service because I have a hard time imagining that there were any non-Christians aboard this ship.
0: There were. Were Mostly. they actually
1: open about it?
0: Some would have been. Ah, if like the Strausses were Jewish.
1: Okay. Well that's fair.
0: That is fair. Um there but yes, there were services for all classes. But they weren't there wasn't one great big mixed class ceremony. So that was super weird. And it was just an excuse for Lady Manton to be rude and for Peter and Mary to once again share the weirdest chemistry ever.
1: God, that was such a strange scene. So if if I'm remembering it correctly, Peter was already in service. And then one of Mary them I think Mary him. was. Mary's okay, so Mary takes her seat. And then one Peter the goes over just... to sit by her.
0: Yes. Yeah, he gets there like a second or two later or something, but yeah. Yeah, and then it just fades out. Um,
1: Well, he he says something to her, but we don't get to know
0: what he says until a later episode. Yes, that's right. And she gives him another horrified look, which leads me to believe that what he says to to her is, if you say a word, I will kill every one of your children, starting with the youngest.
1: Right? That's what I
0: thought, too. Like, all of this was him threatening her. Yeah, every single, every single thing that he does to her leads you to believe that they have a history or either she knows who he is or that he has something over her. Yeah, but, but all of it is negative. <laughs> all of it is negative. And speaking of negative, Miriam Batley is... Oh my god. Fucking wild. they go back to her room and she basically is just like, "I know all of your client sign- um secrets because I read your documents." And when he's like, "Why would you fucking do that?" she goes, "What would you suggest I do?" Literally yeah, anything not. else? Yeah. yeah. Not. Yeah, not. That's <laughs> a great start. I was thinking I literally wrote down in my um uh, notes, so Yeah. I wrote
1: a ship in the middle of the ocean is the perfect time to have an argument and get mad at your partner. Like she brought this up. Like she, she intentionally brought this up to have an argument. You could see it.
0: Yeah. She, and because this conversation came out of nowhere where she's like, cause you're covering for, I don't remember exactly the wording she used, but she was like, you're covering for this dude. And he's like, what did you do? Yeah. Where it's kind of like, I'm nosy too. I'm that kind of person, but I know what also, I know what's off limits, you know? Yeah. Also, if you're,
1: you know, if you're going to be nosy like that and you have all that proprietary information, again, just like pick the time and the place when you feel like you should share it. Or if you want to keep being nosy, maybe don't share it so that nobody's suspicious of you.
0: Exactly. And then they try to explain away her bitterness by Doing the old classic, I wish I could have given you a child.
1: I love that. I love how it's. it felt very, um, how, how, how very different. She begins the argument by saying, hey, I know all of your bullshit and I have all of this against you, but then uh-huh. ends it by saying, by the way, I'm so sorry I couldn't give you a child. Like, what? What's that flip-flopping?
0: Well, he was apologizing to her about that. Oh, that's. Yeah. But either way, it's basically just like, I'm sorry that our marriage was like not childful. Sorry about that. But, you know, painting the classic bitter and fertile woman. Yeah. And then she starts like, she comes out with this Monty Python of a zinger where she says that Lady Mansion has the brains of a kipper and the charisma of an egg, which sounds like a cutout line from, Your mother was a hamster and your father sold of elderberries. Yeah, the brain Honestly, of a kipper and the charisma of an egg. That's a good line. I thought it was extremely funny, but it was one of those things where she starts it off being this horrible bitch, and then she they turn her into this. Oh, it's because she can't have children. Look, and now she's crying. Wah, wah. I, I had I had no sympathy for her, but oh. I do
1: feel that uh, her long suffering husband, John Batley, played by Toby Jones, has mm-hmm. the saddest face in cinema like he he just has yeah when he has just
0: a blank expression you're just like oh toby i'm so sorry let me give (laughs) you a hug (laughs) exactly and then we go from that you know kind of supposed to be like sweet scene to uh captain smith living out his fantasies of being a nascar driver a nascar (laughs) racer being like i think we can go a little faster what money what do you think (laughs) <laughs> yes,
1: yes. Let's do it. This is yes. the time for us to experiment with our speeds. Yes,
0: good, good. <laughs> do it. That's all. This was yeah. That's all this was very much something. Yeah, it immediately comes to this thing where it's like we're painting a clear, clear villain here. Which I will say is interesting that they went for Smith because normally they go for Ismay, which is what they did in the Cameron film.
1: I I just think it's funny that you can like, I I know that movies and TV shows have to do this with plot, but i think it's funny that they're trying to like make a villain out of a singular person for this
0: yeah there is that's a very hard thing to do but i guess also especially when you're as we discussed last time like the 96 person to make a titanic thing you gotta gotta take a fresh angle and uh this is one way to do it also uh captain smith being a therapist is an interesting one because that weird non-versation he had with Batley outside was what can help me what I wrote so I I kind of did my summarization
1: of what that interaction was okay which was was Batley saying let me apologize for my miserable wife and the captain going ah of course well I'll leave you to your misery good
0: night and just walking away (laughs) yeah basically (laughs) An Absolutely bananas yep. conversation. And then they show what we later see is the iceberg collision from Batley's point of view. Mm-hmm. And then Captain Smith and Andrews have a really weird scooby-doo run around in the uh, bowels of the ship when the water is pouring in and then stop to have some A-plus very long exposition in front of a gushing wall.
1: Yeah, so so the iceberg hit at around 34 minutes in, which mm-hmm. is where it will hit for the three of the four episodes. It it uh. keeps hitting at the exact same timestamp. Yes. And I was also just sitting there just like watching them have this conversation as water is gushing in and going, all right, no panic here.
0: No. Let's just watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Light Toller is also psychic. He uh, knows everything, and he can be everywhere at all times. I have not figured out how he's able to do that. Um, but while he's being in sixty-three places at once, there is a terrible closed-roomed drama happening on the bridge, where um, Captain Smith is staring out the window and having a conversation to himself. And I believe it is Chief Officer Wilde and Lightoller are trying to have a human conversation behind him. And it really just felt like an extremely strange community theater three-person scene. I was like,
1: what's going on? I I know exactly what you're talking about. Like one of those plays where it's amateur theater. Nobody really knows how to interact with each other on stage. You have three people on stage. Two of them are like, well, I guess I'll have a conversation. And the third person is like, but I'm the star, so I'm just going to do my own thing and ignore you guys.
0: Yeah, because he, what he is doing in this is looking for the ship that people, you know, there's been a lot of long-running speculation that the Californian was nearby and that you could see the lights. And so that's what they were alluding to. They were having Smith looking through the binoculars being or looking through the window being like, that what is it doing why isn't it responding et cetera, et cetera. but it's not directed in a way that utilizes emotion so it just seems like he's muttering to himself while there is a yeah. class a emergency happening in the background
1: so i i would love to know if titanic 666 is where we finally get both the iceberg is the villain and we find out that like all of these, like, weird conversations and things that are happening between Captain and the folks on the boat are due to some, like, eldritch horror that's in the water, um, and it's influencing all of their minds.
0: If they haven't made that already, we should write a comic for that, because I would a thousand percent do that.
1: Yeah, fund us. Let's let's do
0: it. <laughs> yeah, send us a subscribe to our non-existent Patreon. We'll do it. Yeah. Um... And then we go from there to the scene that I think we, you know, this is where <clears throat> Mrs. Batley totally buries everything. And as everyone is queuing for the purser's office, she screams in the Manton's faces about his affair and his affair child. And Batley hauls her away, accurately screaming at her that she has ruined his career, which is true. Like if they get off yeah. of that ship, like if this was, you know, not an emergency and it turns out everything was fine, he's done.
1: Yeah. It that was also, again, just so bizarre. It's like there there were multiple moments, I think, in the show where people had their um final conflict. But it didn't feel like it was natural. It felt like they had a supernatural inclination that they were not going to survive. So they had to say this now or it was never going to happen.
0: And that's, I think, the risk that you take with this sort of jumping around in the timeline deal. What it's supposed to do is build intrigue. But what it really does is basically show you who lives and who dies
1: yeah I actually think that this mini series would have uh benefited from having two more episodes so that they could actually draw out more of these conflicts and mm-hmm. make it so they made sense instead of instead of like uh Muriel batley just erupting out of fucking nowhere.
0: yeah, she just <laughs> blows up which is again i I tend to be a person that blows up under stress, but it wouldn't have been like that, yeah, it probably would have been like don't touch me! Touch
1: me. I I don't know. I would have needed a reason to be pushed that far. And she didn't. She just was, saw the pandemonium, pandemonium of everybody else trying to get their jewelry and was like, aha, I have my moment to go scream in this woman's face about something.
0: Like She's been waiting for this for like how many years now? She's like, fucking finally. Yeah. Man, 10! It's 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 such a weird show in which so much happens, but yet nothing happens at all.
1: Yeah. That's also how I I would describe the music for this episode, because it was so generic throughout the entire episode, and it didn't, there was a moment that I don't even remember what scene it was, but I made a note about how people were laughing, but the music was just dour and sad. Like, it didn't fit any of the emotions that we were supposed to feel
0: there were so many times when the score sort of either really really betrayed or really really contradicted the show like there was i can't remember any examples now but i think like every scene with peter has extremely ominous music where it's sort of like it never gives you any sort of reason to doubt his character even though they're showing him doing all these good deeds you're supposed to start to feel sympathy for him but when you give these undercurrents of everyone Doing what they're doing, and then every time he's around, there being a tone of of um of like an ominous tone. Yeah, you're you're not giving them any mystery at all, and it happens so many times where the score is just either really, really not the correct emotion, or just flat out bad.
1: Yeah, and I and I think the cinematography kind of um follows the same suit in a way. Like, there's a lot of moments where it's very dark. And we'll get into how dark it is in episode four, because it is visually very dark.
0: Yeah, I don't have a lot of notes because you simply
1: can't see a lot. Yeah, a lot of my notes are about that. But like, but with Peter in particular, like all of the cinematography with him, they also linger on his face with this music, with kind of dark lighting. And you're just like, this is an evil, horrible
0: man. Yeah, it's so... (laughs) Obvious. It doesn't, you know, there part of watching anything is uh, there's mystery involved. Like, um, I saw the Barbie movie last night. I stayed up way too late, late watching Barbie. Um yeah. number one, it was really, really good. But number two, even just plot-wise, it was not at all what I thought it would be. Now, there were some beats halfway through where because I like to pick up on stuff, I was like, oh, I bet it's gonna be this, or I bet it's gonna be that. And I was wrong a couple times and i was right a couple times but there was intrigue to it and it was the combination of being right and having it quote unquote feel predictable or having that sort of satisfaction of being like ah got it and a couple times of being wrong and be like that coming that's what makes a watching experience really joyful or really worth it and in this thing it was all stuff that I could see coming nothing catches you by surprise so I just did you don't feel engaged or incentivized to be engaged in that way because it's like why I you just told me everything I need to know you you backlit this man you all but like front lit him with green there's an ominous undertone and you're you're shooting him from below so he just looks like towering and menacing like there's no mystery to this man
1: yeah I don't I don't know what it says that uh, Barbie is a better cinematic masterpiece than, like, a telling of the Titanic. But I mean, I think that it says that that the
0: Barbie movie had a lot more money than this miniseries. That's probably very true. I, I, I... (laughs) I, I want to get into this a little bit more in the final episode because I think it's where it really comes into play. But I do want to talk about how when you make something Titanic-related or you make anything in today's day and age, the budget is such an influencing factor.
1: Yeah, we will definitely get into it in in, in episode four. Um, yeah. But in, in this episode, we yes. have at least gotten to um, people finally bailing. <laughs>
0: finally bailing is a kind way of describing it yeah this time we're getting a little bit further into the sinking and we see the uh the waters coming up onto the bridge uh the man not the mantons the The yeah yep. there we go they have their little uh couple's resolution moment where she was yeah. like, I used to be a nice person. Why am I not nice anymore?
1: I'm sorry I turned into a miserable bitch, is basically what she said.
0: Yeah, basically. I'm- and then he's like, I forgive you because he's very kind. And then they run to cling onto the collapsible and the water starts coming up. And yeah. they jack and rose each other.
1: <laughs> oh, They really jack and rose each other. Um, I, I also kind of hated that because I don't know about you, but there was not one moment in this, in this show where I liked Muriel. So the fact that she had that section where she said, I'm sorry, I, I turned out to be this way when I was so happy before made no sense because it's like, I don't, are you doing this because you want us to have sympathy for this character?
0: Clearly. But she never showed any of this before. So it's not like we, we care. (laughs) No, and it's disappointing because I think in a vacuum, that scene is actually quite good. That actress and that actor in that scene have very good chemistry. If it had been a different story, it would have been a very heartbreaking scene, you know, last scene between a husband and wife. But instead, it was just this random out of nowhere, like, undeserved resolution. Yeah. Like, we didn't see you learn your lesson, you just learned it.
1: It makes me wonder if that line was actually scripted or if the actress herself was like, I feel like this is right in the moment because it just kind of came out of nowhere.
0: And it had more authenticity than anything she'd ever said before in the show. Yep. It's really possible. It was, it was actually, like I said, in a vacuum. Very nice scene. Well acted. Yeah. Kind of makes you almost feel something. And then you remember that it's this show.
1: <laughs> what I really did feel for was all the dogs. This, this is when we see all the dogs kind of, um, we get to see one dog. Yeah, get shoved onto a boat with with a woman, but otherwise we see a bunch of other dogs running around on the deck. Well, at least we see
0: one or two dogs because they
1: stop by. uh the There were leaves.
0: twelve. There were twelve on Titanic. Yeah, and that just made me very sad. So it's sadder when you realize that only three of them made it. Oh, yeah. It's it's one of those things where they had dog related scenes in the Cameron film outside of the initial one where you see like a dog boarding the ship mm-hmm. um but outside of that I think they cut all of them cuz they were like
1: yeah yeah that's a little too sad
0: just a little bit but um do you have anything less on on this on this episode before
1: um, we leave? no because this se- that's that's actually how the episode ended was like you said just the two batleys about to um Maybe turn over a lifeboat as the water is rushing on to the,
0: the deck, but we'll have to see what happens with them. I guess. Tune in next week for the next episode of Titanic the miniseries. Bye. 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 Titanic Talkline was created and produced by me, Alexia. Be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at Titanic Talkline on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is all one word Titanic Talkline, T I T A N I C. T A L K L I N E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at Titanic Talkline, again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's Titanic Talkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye!